When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So I, I hope the pending swarm of ravenous cicadas does not ruin your view of the rogue Chinese rocket hurtling towards Earth. The lead starts right now. Major hiccup in the economic comeback. President Biden reacting today to a jobs report that surprised all the experts and not in a good way. Where are all the jobs? Or should we be asking, where are all the workers? She said Donald Trump is, quote, not who we are as a country. But now she's the congresswoman Donald Trump wants to replace Liz Cheney. So how did Elise Stefanik go from being a Trump skeptic to one of the biggest spreaders of the big lie? Plus, wear your mask and earplugs. A thundering herd of billions of cicadas are coming. So where are they headed? Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. We start today with our money lead and President Biden today attempting to put a positive spin on a Massively disappointing jobs report. President Biden saying any growth proves the economy is moving in the right direction. But even he is admitting there's a, quote, long way to go. The April jobs report shows the U.S. added 266,000 jobs, which in normal times would be a solid performance. But economists had predicted that the widespread vaccine rollout and the reopening of the economy would spur hiring. And They had expected that jobs report to show at least one million, one million new jobs added to the economy. Instead, the U.S. got just about a quarter of that. And while President Biden is attempting to spin those numbers, his Treasury secretary offered a more blunt assessment. If I had had to write down a number is my best guess, it would have been higher. But I've watched data for a long time, and I know that it is extremely volatile. CNN's Phil Manningly joins us now live from the White House. Phil, what does the White House think went wrong? You know, Jake, White House officials I've spoken to all day have really led with one thing, and that's caution. Caution of reading too much into a single report. And yes, there's a level of political expediency there when it's a miss that's just this large compared to what economists expected. But there's also the numbers themselves. If you dig into this report, there's a lot of contradictory data that doesn't underscore a single through line as to why the miss actually happened. Obviously, there are signs that there is a tightening labor market, something Republicans and some economists have been pointing out to the White House with concern, given the scale of President Biden's $4 trillion economic proposals that are on the table. But you also saw industries that were hardest hit by the pandemic add significant numbers of jobs. You saw chokeholds really, uh, when it comes to the supply chain, really have an impact on certain industries as well. You saw people either not going back to work or staying away from work because of perhaps fear of the virus, perhaps because they don't have child care. In other words, the pandemic has led to a recovery and led to a jobs report where folks just don't necessarily know what to expect. Trading through new ground here, no question about that. However, if there was one message from President Biden when he discussed this jobs report today, it's that he believes what the administration has done up to this point has helped. And what it needs to do is much more. Take a listen. Today's report makes clear. Thank goodness we passed the American Rescue Plan. Help us here. 
and more help is on the way, and more help is needed. We're still digging our way out of a very deep hole we were put in. No one should underestimate how tough this battle is. We still have a job to do here in Washington. And that job's really going to kick into high gear in earnest next week. Obviously, the president has made very clear he wants bipartisan negotiations related to at least a piece of the plans he's put on the table. His infrastructure proposal, he will get that with multiple White House meetings next week with Republicans. Try and see if there's a pathway forward to move forward on that economic agenda. Jobs report or not, Jake? All right, Phil Mattingly at the White House for us. Thanks so much. Uh, Joining us to discuss CNN's Richard Quest and columnist and associate editor for, for the Financial Times, Rana Faruhar. Richard, let me start with you. What happened? I mean, how did we end up with such a disappointing jobs report, especially after $2 trillion in, uh, in stimulus? Well, the st- a lot of that stimulus isn't arrived yet, but you're right. You're right, Jake. You call it disappointing. I would add to that confused because the underlying numbers across working hours, number average hourly week, all those sort of things, they were all good. And yet the headline number was so far off what people had expected. The discrepancy was so large. And so I come back to the oldest answer of all, which is don't read too much into one month's numbers, which is the absolute safety net that economists always use uh, at times like this. The thing to watch out, though, for was what the market did today. Now, the market, both the Dow and the S&P, were at record highs. Why? Because they liked this poor number. It suggests... If things are not going as well as they think, as uh, people had hoped, it suggests that interest rates will not be going up anytime soon. This is a confused number. Take it with a pinch of salt. Uh, Ron, I want to get your reaction to something we heard from President Biden this afternoon. Take a listen. We knew we were facing a once in a century pandemic and a once in a generation economic crisis. And we knew this wouldn't be a sprint. It'd be a marathon. Quite frankly, we're moving more rapidly than I thought we would. Give us a reality check on on that. Yeah, well, he's absolutely right. I mean, the thing that changes the labor market in big ways are pandemics, wars, natural events. That means that there's a lot going on at once. And I think that you can actually see that in this report. You know, you've had women dropping out of the uh, workforce now for, for many, many months, trying to deal with childcare, trying to deal with elder care. I think that that's still a big factor here. You also have unexpected shortages popping up. So truck drivers, I mean, just try filling a position for a truck driver. Not easy these days. That's about the supply chains that have been bottled up and the logistics problem that have to do with the pandemic. Um, you know, certainly there are there's Republicans saying that there's some issues with, you know, uh, the payouts being so much that people may not be looking for work as actively as possible. But I also think technology is playing a role because companies are investing a lot right now in digital resources, technology, software. And, you know, that's going to create jobs longer term, but it's going to displace some people in the short term. Yeah. And Richard, let, let talk, let's talk about what Rana just referred to, Republicans yes. blaming Democrats, blaming the Biden administration, saying, of course, it makes sense. You, you, you keep giving $1,400 checks to people. Uh, the public is getting these enhanced unemployment benefits from the federal government. Of course, they're not flocking back to the workplace. Um, what do you think? Is, is there anything to that? Yes. Yes, there is something to it. Anecdotally, there isn't a restaurant I haven't been to here in New York where the maitre d' or the owner or the manager hasn't said to me, we can't find workers. When you ask why, you say, they say, because at the moment, people are being very picky because they can get just about 
or maybe a bit less or maybe a bit more by going on unemployment with the enhanced benefits. Now, look, this might not be a particularly pleasant argument for, for liberals uh, or, or a socially acceptable argument at the moment. But anecdotally, and the number and the evidence shows it, that the higher level of unemployment benefit at the moment of insurance is potentially acting as a disincentive in certain key industries. It's a fact, yes. And, and Rana, the Republican governor of Montana announced that his state is going to stop participating in the federal programs that boosted unemployment next month. Uh, instead, Montana is going to offer a $1,200 return to work bonus. What, what do you what do you make of that? <laughs> Well, you know, what I make of that is that we have a very big country with totally different job situations in different states. And this has always been one of the issues in trying to regulate the labor market in America. I mean, $15 an hour works in some places, not so well in others. There's a lot of variation right now. And frankly, I'm for states being able to have a little bit of flexibility to deal with the problems that they have. And Richard, Speaker Pelosi reacted to the jobs report saying, quote, the disappointing April jobs report highlights the urgent need to pass President Biden's American Jobs and Families plan. Um, do you think this might make it easier for Biden to sell $4 trillion worth of, uh, of infrastructure and social safety net programs such as child care, elder care, uh, be- because of what happened? Well, he'll certainly try, and it's an argument that will be made time and again. But as I come back to what you said right at the beginning, it's a disappointing number. It's a confused number. And I think that anybody who really knows what they're doing here will say, hang on, we need to see the Joe, we need to see the June number. Remember, the revisions were lower, so things aren't as good as we thought they might be. But we need to see a June number and a July number. And certainly, I don't think this number you can hang four trillion dollars on. Not at at this point. No, they'll try, but it doesn't really hold up to it. (laughs) Richard and Rana, thank you so much. Appreciate it. And coming up, I'm going to ask the Secretary of Energy, Jennifer Granholm, about the disappointing jobs report and what that might mean for the U.S. economic recovery. Plus, a big change could be coming soon on the vaccine front. It could change a lot of hesitant minds and hearts. That's next. And breaking today, new charges from the feds for the man convicted of murdering George Floyd and three other former police officers. Stay with us. In our Healthy Today, today Pfizer became the first vaccine maker in the United States to apply for full FDA approval. That would, of course, be a step up from its current emergency use authorization. Now, some doctors hope that non-emergency authorization will help reduce vaccine hesitancy, as CNN's Erica Hill now reports. Pfizer applying for full FDA approval of its vaccine for ages 16 and up. For a lot of people who are on the fence, who are worried about, well, is this an emergency use? Should I get vaccinated? It will give them confidence. And then there are a lot of businesses who want to require that their employees be vaccinated, but have been waiting for this full approval. I think it's going to bump up vaccinations for a lot of folks. A third of the U.S. population is now fully vaccinated. More than 150 million have at least one dose. But the average daily pace of vaccinations continues to drop. When you get vaccinated, though, you break that chain of transmission by giving the virus one less place to hide in your community. That proof in the numbers. The average rate of hospitalizations and daily reported deaths across the country continues to fall. And normal life feels closer than ever. We need to give people a sense of hope and encouragement that things are going to get better because they are getting better. New York City restaurants can now seat diners inside at 75 percent capacity. 
Kentucky's governor aiming for an end to all capacity restrictions by July. We just held the largest sporting event uh, since the COVID pandemic started. We are doing this right. The former head of the FDA says it's time to move forward. I think we should start lifting these restrictions as aggressively as we put them in. And I think the only way to earn public credibility is to demonstrate that you're willing to relax these provisions when the situation improves. That's what gives you the credibility to implement them when things worsen. Air travel just hit a new pandemic record. The TSA screened more than 1.64 million people Thursday. A recent travel industry survey finds 72 percent of Americans plan to take a vacation this summer. That's up from just 37 percent in 2020. Yet another sign of pre-pandemic norms slowly returning. Just pay attention to how much infection there is in the community. Exercise some basic level of, of safeguards. I think it's very safe to do stuff this summer. Uh, so in terms of where we're at, I do want to give you some new numbers that we're just getting some data from the CDC, taking a look at what's happened since that pause was lifted on Johnson & Johnson's vaccine. Well, in the two weeks since the pause was lifted, those doses account for just three and a half percent of total doses administered over the past seven days. Jake, as you know, we've been talking so much about how the pace of vaccinations is slowing overall, but that obviously a much bigger drop. All right, Erica Hill, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Let's bring in our Chief uh, Medical Correspondent for CNN, Dr. Sanjay Gupta. Sanjay, when many people showed up to get their shot, they were notified that their vaccine was not fully approved. It was only authorized for emergency use. So Pfizer is submitting this new application today. Will there be a big difference if the FDA ultimately grabs full non-emergency approval? Well, I don't think there will really feel like a big difference, Jake. I mean, there's plenty of vaccine that's out there, so people who, who want it can obviously still get it. It may help change the minds of people who said, look, I'm drawing a distinction between authorized, which feels too rushed, and now approval. But the vaccine itself did go through you know, these large clinical trials, safety follow-up to, to gain authorization. Now it's that same process, just longer. And that's what they're using that data to, to get approval. Let me show you uh, the data they're going to submit to the FDA. Uh, it's going to look very familiar because it reflects, I think, a lot of what they saw during the authorization process. Uh, in terms of preventing illness across the board, uh, over 90%, 91% effective there. And for severe disease, the kind of disease that will uh, lead you to the hospital, 100% effective, which is, you know, incredible. We cited these numbers before, but they hold up, uh, Jake. As part of this as well, uh, they have to prove that they can manufacture at the scale that they'll need to manufacture for approval. And it might make the process of these booster shots getting, you know, through the process uh, quickly in the future as well. So we'll see what happens. But uh, th th I think those are some of the advantages for them. So assuming that Pfizer does get full non-emergency approval, that does raise questions about whether or not a vaccine requirement for people to return to work or school uh, is appropriate. California's public university systems are among a growing list of colleges that say they would require an FDA-approved vaccination for in-person class as opposed to emergency use. What's your take on possible mandates uh, in the name of public health? Well, I, you know, we, we have those already. I mean, this is, this is not a new thing. I mean, elementary school, you and I both have elementary school children or grade school children, and they do require vaccines in many school districts uh, to attend school, to be in person. Uh, adult vaccinations are not as common but there are school districts uh, and university systems around the country that require things like hepatitis B vaccinations, even flu vaccinations. So this isn't entirely new. 
I think that the, the idea that this would be approved versus authorized uh, is going to make that, that uh, case easier to make. It's not that it won't come with a fight. I know University of Michigan, where I went to school, they've proposed this idea as well. They're getting some pushback on whether or not they can actually do this. But, you know, private organizations certainly can. Public organizations, I think, can make a much stronger case now. On incentives, uh, Rowan University in New Jersey is now offering students a $500 credit towards registration or housing with proof of being vaccinated. Uh, And check this one out in Tennessee. People who get a shot in Memphis can enter a sweepstakes for a new car. Do you think these kinds of incentives can go further than just telling people get the shot to save your neighbor? They they actually, you know, a cash bonus or a possible new car. Does it does it work? Well, you know, Jake, I, I didn't know the answer to that. So, you know, we went and looked at some of the, the data around this because they're now polling on this sort of stuff. And it turns out it, it, it can make a difference um, in a specific group of people. Let me, let me show you, you know, the willingness of people to get vaccinated. You've seen uh, some representation of these numbers in the past. Far left, the, the dark blue, that's people who say they've already gotten it. They're willing to get it on the right side or people who are the least likely to get it. But it's the area in the middle that has been shrinking a bit. So people have been more likely to, to flip over and get the vaccine. But it's that area in the middle where those incentives uh, can make the biggest difference. What they found, interestingly, in this Kaiser poll, Jake, was that um, out of all those various incentives, some of the biggest ones, the ones that had the biggest impact were money. And $200 roughly seemed to be the sweet spot. And also having paid time off. So, you know, you're saying I'm going to get the shot. I may feel uh, like I have some symptoms or not feel well after the shot. I want to have paid time off for that. Those incentives uh, seem to make the biggest difference. All right. I mean, I did it for free. Dr. Sanjay Gupta, thanks so much. (laughs) Appreciate it. Not even a beer. Got it. Anyway, he started the hashtag (laughs) cover up January 6th over GOP efforts to boot Liz Cheney from leadership. Republican Congressman Adam Kinzinger joins us to talk about what he's calling a capitulation to crazy. Stay with us. In our politics lead today, inappropriate, insulting, offensive. That's how New York Congresswoman Elise Stefanik once described Donald Trump's rhetoric and policy proposals, but That was then, way back in 2015 and 2016. Now Stefanik is one of Trump's fiercest defenders, willing to push the big lie, even vote to overturn the election and disenfranchise millions of Pennsylvanians. Stefanik is also poised to replace Congresswoman Liz Cheney in House Republican leadership, even though Cheney is empirically more conservative and votes for Trump policies more reliably. But Stefanik now has Trump's backing. Not too long ago, however, CNN's K-File found out that Stefanik was singing quite a different tune. I think he has been insulting to women. I think this may be uh, Mr. Trump's peak moment, and I think we're going to see his numbers change. I think in the presidential field, there are some candidates who, over the long run, and, and they've already started this process, are somewhat disqualifying themselves with uh, untruthful statements. Untruthful statements. CNN's Manu Raju is live from the Hill. 
Manu Stefanik is now sharing those untruthful statements. Yeah, she's aligning herself very closely with Donald Trump. This despite the fact that she just five House Republicans voted less often with Donald Trump than she did. And you mentioned those critical statements. But she got on Donald Trump's radar in 2019 when she vigorously defended him during the first impeachment and then has aligned with them as Donald Trump has tried to try to overturn the electoral results, joining efforts to try to disenfranchise voters across key battleground states and also breaking with Liz Cheney, who has called out Donald Trump. But today on on a radio program, the late Rush Limbaugh's radio program, she went on to make clear that she has strong pro-Trump credentials. We need fighters. President Trump is a fighter on behalf of the American people, and voters want fighters to stand up for them. And that's what I'm committed to doing, to unify the message, to earn the support of my Republican colleagues and fight for hardworking American families. Now, part of the reason why she is doing that is she is trying to to shore up her right flank amid criticism of her past voting record. There have been some questions about whether she's conservative enough to be the number three House Republican. She is meeting on Monday with the House Freedom Caucus, which is the most conservative of the House Republican conference. We'll see what comes out of that. But come Wednesday, Jake, that's when we expect the vote to occur to replace Liz Cheney and put her Stefanik in her place. That vote could be delayed though, if more conservatives speak out and ask for the leadership to postpone it. All right, Manu Raja on Capitol Hill. Let's go right to Republican Congressman Adam Kinzinger of Illinois. Congressman, good to see you. So Stefanik is saying she wants to unite the Republican Party, but she's been lying about the voting in Georgia, run by a Republican, supporting the deranged audit of votes in Arizona, run by a Republican. How does that unite the party? It doesn't, you know, unity, it's been interesting because everybody's been talking about unity. And what they say is, let's unify under everything that Donald Trump says as a party. Well, Donald Trump says the election was stolen. Donald Trump says January 6th was just a bunch of hugging and kissing. That's not unity. That is capitulation. And what that is saying is that anybody that believes the truth just four months ago that there was an insurrection led by Donald Trump and, and, and many of his supporters... If you believe that, somehow we can coexist with a lie. And you just can't. Truth and lie cannot coexist. There can always be shades of gray and things, but this is something where there's no shade. And so unity can't exist under those pretenses. So what they're saying is, if you don't go along with the big lie, if you don't go along with the fact that the election was stolen, then you basically need to go. And that's what that unity is. And, and you know, Elise particularly, look, uh, I was friends with her. I, I've been I've been saddened with with kind of this evolution because Elise, I think, is the exact kind of leader the party needs to lead people away from this dark moment we're in. But instead, for whatever reason, she made the calculation to go on Sebastian Gorka's show, to go on Steve Bannon's show, and uh, and to get this position per- perpetuating this big lie. Has she reached out to you to get your vote? No, I don't. I don't think she'll probably be reaching out. Uh, I'm pretty clear at where I stand, which is, you know, Liz Cheney is saying the same thing that Kevin McCarthy said uh, right after January 6th, that this is Donald Trump and it's time for us as a party to focus on ideas and move on. Liz has been consistent. Obviously, Kevin McCarthy hasn't. And no, no facts have changed since January 6th, except for the fact that there was a belief that the only way to win the majority is to go back to Donald Trump. And I think it's that action, by the way, That is actually the thing that has rehabilitated Donald Trump in the party. We had a real opportunity to leave him behind. 
And instead, we just basically put the paddles on him and he's back to life in the party. But still, Stefanik is likely going to be the next Republican conference chair, right? She has the votes. I guess so. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing. And uh, obviously, I'll vote for Liz and and uh, and I hope there's enough people to retain her. But it very well may be Elise. And, you know, that's a decision the party makes. The party, you know, I'm one member of the party. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to fight as hard as I can to save the party. But the party's not just me. They're going to make a decision. And quite honestly, if we go the route of the big lie and Donald Trump, you may get a temporary hit. of like, Maybe you'll win the majority. I don't know. I don't think you will. Um, but I guarantee you in the long arc of history, this is not going to bode well for Republicans. How many of the House Republican caucus do you think actually believes this lie? Uh, actually thinks that the fix was in and all the Republican governors and Republican election officials and Republican appointed judges and the U.S. Supreme Court, everybody's in on this. The election was completely stolen. There was crazy software. The Chinese sent in bamboo ballots, whatever. How many of your colleagues actually believe this, do you think? Oh, keep in mind the CIA, no, the DOD attacked a CIA server farm, supposedly, in Germany, as well as any other crazy mouth. Right. How many actually believe it? Five, probably, if that. Maybe, I don't know. It's, but it's in the single, it's low. People don't believe it. But what they're doing is they're sitting around saying... I need to continue to exist in this job so that I can make an impact. I don't have the courage or the strength or the ability to, to swing this party, so I'm going to just kind of put my head down and go along. And some people have made the decision that grabbing onto the Trump train again, even though it's been derailed, is the best way for us to push whatever. And some just want to destroy the place. They're like legislative terrorists, as John Boehner called them. But, you know, the reality is I, I, I ask all of my colleagues to listen to the interview right here on CNN with Don Lemon, uh, that Officer Michael Fanone had, where he opened his heart as to what he feels, the, the difficulties he's had, and he's speaking on behalf of the D.C. Metro that showed up heroically and the Capitol Police officers that had hand-to-hand -hand combat defending the Capitol that day. Um, as far as I know, there's a lot of my colleagues that have not listened to that, particularly Kevin McCarthy, have not heard whether he's talked to Officer Fanone. I would certainly encourage him to do so before he goes on playing this big lie. And Fanon, uh, he recently wrote a letter to members of Congress saying, quote, I was pulled out into the crowd, away from my fellow officers, beaten with fists, metal objects, stripped of my issued badge, radio and ammunition magazine, and electrocuted numerous times with a taser. It has been 119 days since 850 Metropolitan Police officers responded to the Capitol and stopped a violent insurrection. The time to fully recognize these officers' actions is now, unquote. Other than Liz Cheney, have any other Republican leaders in the House stood with the men and women in blue and recognized what happened January 6th to people like Officer Fanon? Honestly, I don't know. Um, I haven't seen Kevin do it. I, I haven't seen Steve Scalise do it. I've seen them go on, you know, only media that's not going to ask them that question where they can continue to to say the big lie theory and, and smile about Donald Trump. I would encourage anybody, look, uh, you know, you hear a lot of leaders now saying it's time to move on. Let's focus on the future and ideas. And I agree, let's focus on the future and ideas. Let's do that after we have a full reckoning or while we're having a full reckoning of what happened just four months ago. This isn't a decade ago. This isn't, you know, even five years ago. This is four months ago. Let's have a reckoning of what happened. The number of officers that put their lives on the line that have scars both mentally and physically because of what happened on January 6th. 
that was caused by our party. It was caused by our party. And we as a party that believe in this country and we salute the soldiers when they come home from service, we as a party have a responsibility to ourselves and to the American people for a full reckoning, a full accounting, and then moving on with a optimistic view of the future and not simply reflecting people's fears back to them for fundraising. Congressman Adam Kinziker of Illinois, thank you so much uh, for your time today. We appreciate it. You bet, Jake. Derek Chauvin now facing federal charges in George Floyd's death and for another alleged use of excessive force grabbing a 14-year-old by the throat. Stay with us. In our national lead today, today a federal grand jury indicted the four former Minneapolis police officers involved in George Floyd's murder. The indictment alleges that they violated many of Floyd's constitutional rights. These federal charges come just two weeks after a jury found Derek Chauvin guilty on state murder charges, kneeling on Floyd's neck last year for nine and a half minutes. And as the three other officers involved, two um, Tau, J. Alexander King and Thomas Lane, all face a trial on state charges in August. CNN's Omar Jimenez has been following the Floyd case from the beginning, and he joins me now. Omar, exactly what are these four officers now charged with, and could this lead to another trial? How is this handled? Yeah, Jake. So these federal charges are coming in addition to the state charges. So these four former Minneapolis police officers could face a new trial in federal court. Now, with this federal indictment, we're seeing three counts of civil rights violations listed, and they all apply slightly differently to each of these former officers. Like with Derek Chauvin, for example, in count one, it focuses specifically on him. And it says he held his knee across George Floyd's neck and his right knee on Floyd's back and arm as George Floyd laid on the ground, handcuffed and unresisting, and kept his knees on Floyd's neck and body even after Floyd became unresponsive. Count two, which focuses on Tutau and J. Alexander King, says the defendants willfully failed to intervene to stop defendant Chauvin's use of unreasonable force. And count three, which encompasses all the officers, including former officer Thomas Lane, the defendants saw George Floyd lying on the ground in clear need of medical care and willfully failed to aid Floyd. Now, we've reached out to the attorneys for all of these former officers. Eric Nelson, the attorney for Derek Chauvin, along with the attorney for J. Alexander King, said no comment. The others have yet to get back to us. But we should also note this is different from the state cases playing out for which Chauvin was recently convicted and where he awaits sentencing and different from a recently announced Department of Justice probe into patterns and practices of policing at the Minneapolis Police Department. And Omar Chauvin also faces new federal charges in connection to a 2017 case. That's right. A separate federal indictment for Derek Chauvin that also came out today focuses on a 2017 incident where he responded to a domestic assault call and allegedly put this teen on the ground, his knee on his neck, and kept that knee there allegedly even after he was in handcuffs, had stopped resisting, and when he was in the prone position. So two counts of civil rights violations being charged there as he faces multiple and that other indictment, which of course includes all of the four former officers tied to George Floyd's death. Jake. All right, Omar Jimenez, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Also in the national lead today in North Carolina, a judge's order allows the family of Andrew Brown Jr. to see more body camera videos that show the deadly encounter with deputies in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. But 
The family can only see a portion of the footage. Brown was shot and killed April 21st when deputies tried to serve him with a warrant on drug charges. The new court order reveals there's nearly two hours of footage of the incident, but the Brown family can only view fewer than 20 minutes. CNN's Evan McMorris-Santoro is in Elizabeth City, not far from the Virginia, Virginia border. Evan, why is the judge restricting what the family can see? Well, Jake, the judge says that the law here in North Carolina around body cam footage only allows him to show the family the portions of the video that actually have Andrew Brown Jr. in them. And it requires him to shield anything that can identify specific deputies. So you get this very convoluted order that shows specific time codes that are uh, that have to be sort of clipped together, edited together, and then redactions that are required to shield those deputies' identifications. Now, the sheriff's department just said just a very few minutes ago that they're going to go ahead and show that video to the family on Tuesday. So that's a big moment for them. But still, it obviously leaves them and the most of the rest of us in the public in the dark about what the majority of this body cam footage shows. The Brown family has seen about 20 seconds of footage so far on April 25th. They said that that footage makes it clear to them that this shooting was unjustified. A source close to the family told CNN today that they don't expect this new footage to change that perception very much. As for the rest of us, we haven't seen any of the body cam footage, and we're not going to for quite a while, it seems. What we have seen is some footage from before and after the shooting that was captured in other places. We've seen some footage of the sheriff's deputies uh, rolling up in a heavily armed, wearing tactical gear in a sheriff's department pickup truck, rolling up on the house that was captured by a city camera on the corner of the house where Brown lived. And we see some footage of the aftermath of the shooting captured by a neighbor across the street who filmed um, from the porch. So that so far has, is all that we have seen. And according to the judge, it's all we're able to see for quite a while. Jake? Well, Evan, will the courts ever allow this video to be released publicly, ever? That's a really, that's a very much an open question, Jake. It's the right question, it's an open question. A bunch of media outlets, including CNN, have pursued legal action to try to get this video out. And the, a lawyer for that, uh, that media group told CNN today that they're gonna go ahead and look at the judge's order and plan to do an appeal and try to get that video, uh, that video footage out, Jake. All right, Evan, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Coming up, the biggest brood of cicadas ever is about to come out of the ground. Where Will your backyard be their Airbnb? That's next. And will that tree also catch a falling Chinese rocket, the latest on the rogue chunk of metal hurtling toward Earth? And our national lead, something you will not be able to ignore. And I got to admit, this story really bugs a lot of people on my staff. Loud, racket-making, watch out or you'll step on them with a crunch. Bugs called cicadas are re-emerging by the billions in the next few days. It's a story somebody had to step up and do. Enter CNN's Tom Foreman. With a roar to rival a passing jet, the cicadas are on the move. A remarkable bunch called Brood 10. And when the males let loose with their mating call, that's airplane noise. If we were in the center of Brood 10, you wouldn't hear that airplane. 
This particular strain emerges in the mid-Atlantic and a few Midwestern states, living underground on tree roots, counting the seasonal cycles of those trees, and coming into the light only once every 17 years to fascinate entomologists in the right place at the right time, like the Smithsonian's Floyd Shockley. Periodical cicada mass emergences are one of those once or twice in a lifetime kind of things. I hope people, you know, aren't scared, but enjoy the show. In busy areas, a million and a half could appear per acre, a trillion in all, rising when the soil temperature reaches 64 degrees. Are they dangerous? No, although they can damage some small trees where they lay their eggs. Are they edible? Yes. Oh, yeah. That's the sound you want to hear. There are videos online offering recipes, like this one from the Tennessee Farm Bureau, if you can stomach it. Do I eat the eyes, too? A little crunchy. Got a leg stuck between my teeth here. If you spice them right, they taste a lot like shrimp. Why are there so many? Because everything eats them. Cicadas survive only because there are too many to be devoured entirely. Will they be around long? No. Just a few weeks. Periodical cicadas are only out as adults for that one thing. It's to mate, lay eggs, and die. But will they bug some people? Absolutely. There's even a new film this spring, and you guessed it. The creepy guys are called Cicada. Unbelievable. So scientists say if you are caught in this creeping, crawling cicada storm, don't think of it as a scary nuisance, but a natural wonder like the Grand Canyon or Niagara Falls. That's what they say. Jake? (laughs) And in our out-of-this-world lead, a telescope in Italy managed to snap a picture of that out-of-control Chinese rocket that's going to fall out of orbit and hit somewhere on Earth. This weekend, the derelict rocket, about the size of a school bus, has so many people looking up that the government of China attempted to offer reassurances today. A foreign ministry spokesman saying that most of the rocket will be destroyed during re-entry. And the probability of it causing harm on the ground is, quote, extremely low. Feel better now? Coming up, a match made in MAGA heaven, a GOP lawmaker who peddled the Pizzagate conspiracy theory, standing next to the subject of an actual sex trafficking investigation at a rally for Trump supporters this weekend. Guess where? Florida. Stay with us. We all do things our own way. And since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number Smart Beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 Smart Bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 